welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series, now the world's largest subscribed to weekly podcast dedicated to the topic of leadership. My name is Scott Miller, and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. Now, each week, you know, we interview a different thought leader, CEO, someone who has expertise on the topic of leadership. And then there is today's episode, where we have perhaps the most iconic name in leadership alive today, a very dear friend of one of our co-founders, Dr. Stephen R. Covey. His name is a household name known to anybody who is literate, because that means you've read one of the 30 million copies of his nearly 20 books. John Maxwell is joining us today from a studio in Florida. John Maxwell, welcome to On Leadership. Hey, great to be with you, Scott, and great to be with all of your viewers. And uh, we all are indebted to, to uh, Stephen Covey for what he did for our lives. And so it's an honor. Thanks for letting me come. And I hope I can add value to everybody today and, and uh, kind of maybe lift their leadership lid a little bit. John, you are the essence of everything Dr. Covey taught and was passionate about, an abundance mentality and just the, the, the principles of great leadership. This, this latest book you've written is a gift, The Leader's Greatest Return, Attracting, Developing, and Multiplying Leaders. I, I wanna talk today about all things leadership with you, not just this book, but the many books you've written. John, for those of that have, our listeners and viewers that have read your books but aren't, aren't familiar with your entire journey, would you take a few minutes to kind of reconstruct how you got into the leadership business, why you became an author, why you enjoy it, and kind of how this book bug took off in making you one of the world's most prolific leadership writers ever. Uh, thank you, Scott. I will be glad to. Uh, truthfully, uh, I started off as a pastor and uh, uh, went to my first little country church in southern Indiana and, and just basically thought I would spend my life uh, pastoring. But uh, one of the things I had the ability to do is I had the ability to grow a church. And uh, in my second church in Ohio, uh, by the time I was 28, it was the 10th largest church in America. And people were coming to me and they were saying, you know, how did you grow this congregation uh, to the size? And, and honestly, in the beginning, I, I would say, well, I work hard and, you know, I love people. And, you know, I feel I have a calling and I would just give them answers. But I, I really, I really didn't know how I was growing the congregation until I just went inside myself and, and, and began to say, okay, what, why am I doing this pretty well? And I came to the conclusion that, that, that I, I was a good leader. And, uh, and I began to study leadership. I grew up in a leader's home. My fact, my father's 98, still living, terrific leader. Mm -hmm. And, um, so leadership was kind of natural to me and, and, uh, but I came across a, a principle that I, I bought into it at about 25, and that principle was that everything rises and falls on leadership. And the moment that I, I, I bought into that and became convinced that everything, everything in, in education, in government, in, in business, in religion, everything rises and falls on leadership without any question. Once, once, I, once I bought into that, I really felt called to develop leaders. and. Um, and so I, I, I felt this, this would be a mission, this would be a, a, something that I could do that would help a lot of people. If I can help leaders get better, I help a lot of people get better. In fact, kind of the little deal I, I try to, uh, to, 
to lead under today is I, basically we just try to add value to leaders who multiply value to others. And, and so, so I got into the leadership field and, and, and was still pastoring. And, uh, and I started to write books when I, when I wrote, a, my, when I started writing, I was just writing because most of my colleagues that were pastors, they, they didn't know how to lead. You know, they were theologues. We, we, we knew scripture, but, but, you know, to be honest with you, we weren't very good at with leadership. We didn't have any leadership classes or courses in college or seminary. So I started writing leadership for basically, uh, uh church leaders. And, and, and after I had done this for about 10 years, um, 12 years, maybe. My publisher uh, we, we sat down with me one day and said, we've been doing a lot of research on you because my books were starting to sell pretty good. And they said, uh, we're, we're finding that two thirds of your books are, aren't bought by pastors or religious people, basically. They're bought by business people on the secular side. And I, and I was shocked. I said, you're, oh my gosh, you're, you're kidding me. I, I had no idea. And it was at that moment I felt called, okay, that's a word that many perhaps wouldn't use, but, but I felt called to, uh, to cross over and, and go into a world that, that, um, that perhaps could use some good values-based leadership teachings and uh, apply it to their lives and to their companies and businesses and to themselves. And so, and so I did. I, I, I crossed over and entered into that world and uh, I was on a very steep learning curve for the first three years, but uh, I got there. And uh, I just have always determined very simply that everything I do, I add value to people. I, I'm very intentional. Everything I do, I add value to people. And uh, so I, I started uh, asking leaders, you know, questions on what, what do they need? How, what, 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 could, what could I teach on that would serve them? And they, and they began to talk to me about how to develop themselves as leaders. You know, how do I develop a leadership team? And, and, and so I started teaching and, and then writing my books off of the questions they were asking me. And really, almost everything that I published has, has really come from a, a question or for somebody else's idea, really not my own at all. And I'm just a great, I'm a great, per, I ask a lot of questions. I, 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 you know, in fact, I wrote a book called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. And, and so I ask a lot of questions and I'm a good listener. And I just do a lot of writing from basically what people tell me. And I've, I've written books pretty much based on the needs of other people. And it's really paid off because um, then when the book comes out, it's helpful, practical, and people, you know, get it and, and hopefully it helps them be a better leader. John, it's, it's apparent that you have a very outwardly focused mindset. And that, I think, resonates in your abundance mentality, in your generosity, in your deliberate and intentional focus on helping other people. Has that always been sort of a natural trait of yours? Did you learn that as you grew as a leader? How would you advise our listeners and viewers who are, like me, an abundant person, but also, you know, intent on our own brand and intent on our own success and trying to balance, you know, our needs with serving other people's needs. I'm going to guess a lot of people are more like me than they are perhaps like you. Give me some advice. Well, I think they are. And, and really, it's no credit to myself. First of all, I grew up in a leader's home. My father uh, was very intentional in adding value to people. He was a successful college president. Uh, he was he, he was in ministry. In fact, he started uh, over 40 different congregations. So, I mean, he was he was very successful in what he did, but he really loved helping and adding value to people. So I saw it practiced at home. 
And then if you think about it, I started off in ministry. And so I, you know, I didn't start off in business. I didn't start off to make money. I started off to help people with making some important decisions that I thought would have some maybe eternal uh, benefits to them. So uh, in ministry, that's what you do. You just add value to people, add value to people. And, and I, honestly, Scott, uh, you know, we have seven companies. We have what we call the John Maxwell Enterprise. We, you know, we, we have, you know, I have the world's, I have the largest coaching company in the world. And, and we have a, a corporate training company. And, you know, we, we just have, we have two nonprofit organizations that have trained over 6 million people in every country of the world. And, and, and honestly, everything we do starts off with just this simple principle, add value to people. In fact, what we teach our coaches is very simple. We are, we are people of value that add value to people hmm. because we value people. We, we are people of value that value people. So therefore we add value to people. And so uh, honestly, um, so I, I, <laughs> I've, I've done very well financially, but I, 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 making money has never been my goal. And he, like in COVID-19 right now, and the, you know, our CEO of, of all of our seven companies, Mark and I talk daily. And, and when it happened, I said, Mark, remember, we value people. We put them first. And, and, it, and it's not about money. And uh, obviously, you have to make money to have a business. We've got seven of them, so we know how to do that. But, but it's all about the people. So put the people first. Do, do the right thing for all of our people and all of our organizations. And uh, that has been our foundation, and it just works. And, and honestly, if I added value to people and I went bankrupt tomorrow, I, I, would, I would be okay. But if I had a lot of money but I didn't add value to people, I, I wouldn't be okay. I, 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 I'm not called to make money. I'm called to help people. And so that is the core of my books. That's the core of, of, of everything. I, I wrote books. I had a mentor that had written uh, five books. I hadn't written any. I, I hadn't Scott, I hadn't even planned on writing any books. That wasn't in my, I, I, I didn't have a, like a desire to go write a book. And one day in a lunch mentoring time, I asked Les uh, Parrot, his name is Les Parrot. I said, Les, I said, uh, why, why do you write books? And he said, I want to influence people that I'll never know. I want to add value to people that I'll never meet. And as soon as he said that, I said, I I'm going to become a writer. Hmm. I I'm, going to, I'm going to write books. And, 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 and then I loved it. He looked at me and said, don't write books to make money, John. He said, you know, most people never make money writing books. And so I, I want to write books to add value to people. I want to extend my influence beyond my personal touch. And that's why I got into, into it. And, and uh, little did I know that, you know, I don't know, 35 million books later, you know, uh, people are, you know, getting help from it. But, but again, I, I, did, I didn't get in to make money. I got into add value to people. I stay into add value to people. People say, I'm 73. They're saying, well, why are you still in the game? It's very simple. I've never got tired of adding value to people, uh, you know. If I, if I was in it for money, I could retire, I'd be done. But, but I, I don't think, I don't even think there's a finish line, to be honest with you, if you play an infinite game. So, so I just every day understand that my, uh, uh, my responsibility is to, in every situation, with every person, add value to them. And, you know, when I was young, I was influenced by Zig Ziglar, who said, Zig, Zig, who became a great friend of mine, but Zig said, you know, if you'll help people get what they want. In other words, if you'll add value to people, you know, they'll help you get what you want. And so you just put them first and, and do that. And, uh, and then you just reap the benefits from it. But I'm more, I'm more committed to sowing than I am to reaping. So, you know, I, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson said, I consider the success of my day based on the seeds I sow, not the harvest I reap. Well said. 
I buy into that, Scott, yeah. big time. Yeah, well said. John, your books are treasures. This one is a gift, The Leader's Greatest Return. I want to make sure we have some time to talk about some of the concepts that I found most relevant in this book. Um, how many books total, John? How many books have you written in total? Well, Do I don't know. You lost track. Well, it's so funny <laughs> because a hard I don't question, keep... John. <laughs> well, no, I, I think I've written 83. And the only reason I think I've written 83 is that's what my staff tells me I've written. But that is, there are a whole bunch of books. You know how books, uh, you know, get revised. Sure. And, 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 yeah. and, and, and I yeah. don't count those as books I've written. I mean, so I just kind of count it once. And so, you know, 83, 84, maybe, you know, which is no big deal, <laughs> Scott. Okay. Yeah. You just have to, you just have to be old. I mean, if you're not old, you can't write that many books. So, so I, I just... So I tell people like you, you just aren't old enough to write 83 books. You know, just, you know. <laughs> oh, well, according to your dad, you've got about 50 left in you because you've got at least 25 years left, right? So get cracking, brother. Oh, yeah, um, yeah my, dad, my, my dad's amazing. Yeah, he's, he's the most remarkable man I know. He's an amazing person. What a compliment. Um, I once heard George H.W. Bush, the former president, 41. He was interviewed by David Frost, you know, the uh, British journalist. And he asked George H.W. Bush of what accomplishment was he most proud, right? He was the president, vice president. He was the director of the CIA. He was a congressperson, ambassador to China. He was the chairman of the RNC. I mean, there was never a more qualified president than George H.W. Bush. And he said of when the journalist asked him what was he most proud of, without skipping a beat, he said that my children still come home to visit me. And my yeah, sense is, is that you feel the same way yeah. about your father that perhaps the President Bush's children feel about him. You know, I do, Scott. Uh, I define success this way, and it works for me. I think success is having people who know you the best love and respect you the most. Hmm. I think that's success. And, uh, you know, being a, being a, a person that speaks on platforms and, and author writes books, um, you know, uh, it's 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 very possible that that I don't live what I write or I don't live what I teach. And but can I tell you something? People who know me well know that. And so uh, I've always said that I'm successful if if my family and my inner circle look at me and they say he's a good man. He's he he he, he um, yeah he's a good person. I I, I consider that success because. Uh, Again, anybody can go make money. You don't have to be a good person to make money. There's a whole bunch of things you don't have right. to be a good person to do. Right. But, but yeah, I'll tell you what, if you want respect of people closest to you, you got to be a good person. So I want to get to this book, but I'm compelled to ask, why is there a lemon sitting on your um, desk? What's going on there? Oh, this is so funny. Well, okay. Well, we're in COVID-19. <laughs> and so, I, I, and so I, when I speak right now, just as a visual for people, I got my bowl of lemons over here. And, I, 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 and hey, I mean, I can even squeeze this baby. I can even make my lemonade here. And of course, then I have my glass over here. And, and basically, people ask me during COVID-19, what are you doing? And every day I tell them the same thing. I'm making lemonade. That's what I'm doing. And, and the only difference, hey, Scott, the, the only difference is this. That you know, I tell I tell leaders constantly that um, there are no two good consecutive days in a leader's life because you, you're you're always dealing with issues and problems and people and so you got you you got a lot of, uh, of difficulties and adversity to deal with. Leader leaders, you know, the only problem that ever gets to the leaders are the big problems. And so you're so every day basically a, a, a leader gets a lemon, and, and so you take that lemon, squeeze that sucker, and you get one 
one glass of lemonade out of it. But what I love about this setting is, is it, it, during COVID-19, we get, we're getting showers of lemons. I mean, we get some, <laughs> so, so I tell people, forget the glass. You can make a pitcher out of today. I mean, in fact, I'm making so much lemonade. I'm going to start a franchise. I think I'm going to, I'm going to have a lemonade, a Maxwell lemonade you know, franchise. Oh, so I, I've got it. I just got it, Scott, as a reminder to all, yeah. all of us, all of us, me and everybody else is, is we all got lemons right now. We, and so make some lemonade, you know, do something good with it. When Franklin Covey fires me, I'm coming to work with you. But until that happens, let me it. ask you a couple of questions. Um, <laughs> in your current book, you talk in chapter two about leaders coach others on how to up their who luck. You call it their who, W-H-O yes. luck. Will you yes. riff on who luck for a moment? Yeah, I, I, I will. Um, uh, I, I, really, the Hulak principle is, isn't mine. Uh, Jim Collins, good to great, sure. is a good friend. And we were, having, we were having lunch in Vegas. We were speaking at the same conference a few years ago. And, and he was the first person to tell, talk to me about Hulak. And, and, and I, 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 I loved it then. And, and since that time, I pulled away from that and, and I built on it. And I, I really believe that, um, that who we know uh, is is very important, and who we are around is very important. I mean, uh, you know, we've heard the old statement goes clear back to uh, I forget the old motivational pioneer that was. Oh, I can see his John face Maxwell, when he said, Please. "No, yeah, well, he's old." But but, <laughs> he's uh, right. uh, but but he was the one who said that who we are in five years will be based on the books we read and the people we associate with. Yeah. And uh, oh, Charles Tremendous Jones. It was Charles Tremendous Jones who said that. So. On who luck, I, I decided to be very intentional with that. And so I have learning lunches, Scott, every month. I've had this for 40 years. I, I take people bigger, better, faster, smarter than me out to lunch, buy their lunch. I don't even eat because I, I have questions. I've got seven questions I want to ask them. And, and, uh, and one of the questions I ask them in that learning lunch is, who do you know that I should know? Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's just huge. I, I could take two hours now talking about the people I have met because I asked somebody, who do you know that I should know? And, and, and they not only told me who I should know, but they set up the, uh, the arrangement for me to meet them. And uh, John Wooden, who was a phenomenal mentor of mine, I literally was with a, with a principal of a school in Orlando, Florida, having lunch with him one day. And, uh, and he was really having a learning lunch on me. He was a person that I guess I had mentored from afar. And so as we were wrapping it up, I said, well, who do you know that I should know? And he said, well, I know John Wooden. He hmm. said, he's a good friend of mine. And he knows about you, but he's never met you. And I said, well, I'd like to meet him. And so I, I flew out a month later, met him, and we had an 11-year mentoring relationship that was totally life-changing. So it's a, it's a dynamic question. And I, I teach people to ask that question and, uh, and be very intentional in it because it'll, it'll lead you to people that you would, that you would never meet uh, without, going, without somebody helping you get there. Hey, John, who do you know that I should know? You know, when people ask me that question all the time, I, I'll tell you what, do you, do you know Alan Malawi? I know of him. Yeah, he was the CEO of Ford. I think, of I think Alan Malawi in the last 25 years is the greatest CEO in America. Wow. wow. And, 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 and I love him. And uh, I, I fell in love with him the first time I heard him talk before I ever met him. And, and then we, we played some golf together. We've become very good friends, but uh, his ability, I, see, I think, I think, Greatness in leadership is is determined by somebody who takes something that's going the wrong way 
and stops it and, and turns it around. And, and I, 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 you know, I call them Scott U-turn leaders where, where, where it's, it looks like this and they, they get it when the company's going down here, it's going south and, and, and they take it and they, you know, they bottom that little baby out and then they start to, they start to bring it up on the other side. And I call them U-turn leaders because they took something going the wrong way they stopped it and turned it and made it go the right way. And, and Alan Malawi is, there's just done better. I mean, he took, he took Ford when it was bleeding billions of dollars losses and turned it around, totally turned it around without government aid and without government support. So I, I just learned a lot from him. Yeah. Yeah. You ought to, you ought to know Alan and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to set that up for you. Okay? Hey John, I know someone that you should know. Who's that? Do you know who Liz Wiseman is? She wrote oh, the I love Liz. She wrote the book oh, Multipliers. Oh, Multipliers, fabulous book, great lady. I, she's one of my favorite people. Oh well, thanks a lot. You stole the one that I had. My one celebrity yeah, I, friend, yeah. John. Seriously. Yeah. In, in fact, when I was talking to Liz, she said, "You know, you ought to know Scott." Well, Miller. of course she did. She endorsed my book, John. I want to talk about. I want to talk about. Oh, I love her. She's wonderful. She is a class act. The book Multipliers. Franklin Covey has the license on multipliers oh. and we're launching a course. Uh, Liz is the real deal. I, I want to share- I highly, I highly respect her very much. Yeah, I, I do as well. John, I want to read a passage out of your book and then I want you okay. to take it wherever you want to go. Okay. Most people are insecure. Give them confidence. Most people want to feel special. Compliment them. Most people want a bright future. Give them hope. Most people need to be understood. Listen to them. Most people want direction. Walk with them. Most people are selfish. Speak to their needs first. Most people get emotionally low. Encourage them. Most people want to be included. Ask their opinion. Most people want success. Help them win. Most people want to be appreciated. Give them credit. Yeah. Yeah, I love that part of the book. Um, I love it because I try to live it. Here, here, I'm glad you asked me this question, Scott. You know, I, I, here's what I think leaders do. Before you can lead people, Scott, you have to find people. And I think a lot of leaders, they just, they, it's almost like they're on top of the mountain and they're looking down the valley below at all the people and they're saying, come on up. It's, 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 the view is great up here. Come, you know, come on up, come on up, meet, meet me up here. I, you know, come on up to high ground. And, and I don't think that's what leaders do at all. I, I think when, if, if a leader's on top of the mountain and he or she sees people in the valley, I think the first thing they do is they get off the mountain and they go down to where the people are. I, I think the great leaders find common ground and, and, and that's where they find the people. And, and when I wrote that in that book, I was basically saying to leaders, quit trying to lead from the top, go to the bottom, find the people, Find out what their need is, and then ask if you can help them. Ask if you can serve them. And by the way, when, when a leader goes to the top of the mountain, he or she doesn't go alone. I, the only when you lead people, you go with them. They, you bring people with you. So, so if I get to the top of the mountain and I'm all alone, I'm not a leader. I'm a hiker. If I'm a leader, I don't go to the top without people going to the top with me. And so I, I love the fact that we find them first and we find them first by, by common ground. So if you and I had a lunch together, my first, my first part of, of getting to know you would be, I, I would just ask you where you were and, and, and I'd, I'd ask you, you know, what's your dream and what would you like? And, and, and I would, I'd find out what you want. 
And then I would ask you if I could help you get, get what you want. And if you said yes, then we'd kind of develop a little plan and I'd try to help you get there. And so I think that um, leaders are much, the great leaders are much more in tune of where their people are than where they are. And, and, and so I know where I am and I know what I can do and I can climb that mountain and I can climb it very successfully. I, I got all that. And, and so now what I want to do is I want to help other people do that very same thing. Uh, I, I think when you have X amount of success in your life, unless you're narcissistic, I, I, I think that you basically say, okay, I know how to be successful. Now I wonder how many people I can make successful. And, and one of the reasons I love the leader's greatest return is it's all about compounding your leadership success. Because uh, again, I, I, we, we, we develop leaders who, who we, we add value to leaders who multiply value to others. And, and the great return is, is, in, is in leaders. And it, it's easy to gather followers. Mostly, most leaders don't even have develop a lot of leaders. Most leaders just have followers. And so it's easy to gather a crowd if you've got some charisma, if, you, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're good, you know, people will follow you. Leaders are much harder to lead. You know, this, you know, like somebody like said, it's like herding cats. They're like herding cats. So leaders are harder to lead. So I wrote the book Leaders Greatest Return because it's a book on how do you develop other leaders. My greatest joy today is in the success of thousands and thousands of people that I've influenced and developed that are, are, are really, they're going to do bigger and better things than I've ever done. In fact, I, I kind of want them to, you know, stand on my shoulder and, and, and and, and go higher. I want that for them. So, so the leader's greatest return is the compounding. You see, if I, if I just have followers, I add, but when I develop leaders, I multiply it. And it's, it's all about multiplication, but you, you find them, you find them, you ask questions, you connect with them. And only then do you lead them. You, you don't lead people until you connect with them. So that that's, that's what that passage in that book was all about. John, you share a lot of concepts. One of them that I has, was kind of stricken with was this idea of the one sentence, right? The one sentence that describes a presidency. And then you take it to us and you kind of ask us, you know, what, what is your one sentence? Would you explain that concept and encourage our viewers and listeners to be thinking about their one sentence? No, I love that. And yeah, I, 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 in the book, I talk about that was a, he was challenged. Uh, John Kennedy was challenged right. to have, have uh, what's your life going to look like in one sentence. And the reason I like that so much is um, people can only, um, people can only grab what, you know, you've got to keep it simple. I, I, um, I'm a, I'm a, I have an edu I have three degrees, so I have an education, but I'm really a communicator, not an educator. An educator takes something simple and makes it complicated. The communicator takes something complicated, makes it simple. And, and I love the one sentence deal because I say, uh, reduce your life to one sentence, you know, so they can put it on your, on your tombstone if they want to. And, uh, and again, I've talked about my one sentence and that is I add value to leaders who multiply value to others. And, and that's what I want to, you know, and if there's going to be a second sentence, I want it to be, and his name was John, my name's John, I'm your friend. And I don't want fans. I don't need any fans in my life. I just want friends. I, and, 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 and the reason I say that is because if you, if you have fans, it, it, you purposely see success. Wow. I wish we had time on this one. Success separates people. Uh, success, success is a separator. It's, it separates the people who have from the, from the people who have not. 
And, and I don't like that. I, I think that great communicators and great leaders do everything in their power to close that gap. So, but, but see, if, if I want to be adored, if it's all about me, I want, I, then I want that gap. I, I want fans. I want people to come and applaud and say, oh my gosh, he's brilliant. He's amazing. Have, have you ever seen anything like him? He's just, he's amazing. But but I, I don't want that. I, I, I want to be their friend because you you can't you can't help fans. You can take their money, but you can't help them because they, they, there's too big of a gap. And I, I think that I think that you reduce everything to one sentence in your life. And I would suggest to all of the viewers that that they they start on their one. Their, what's my one sentence statement for me? And uh, you know, bounce it off your friends. You know, ask them. You know what? What are my strengths? What do I do well? Uh, what would you say? What would you say is my, you know, my the, my best quality in life? Uh, what, what what would you say is that I do best for people in life? And and get it down to just just one thing and keep it simple. And and then, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time is is pick a rabbit. You know, pick a rabbit. You know, the, you know, we've all heard the statement that if you chase two rabbits, you, both of them get away. Well, it's because you chase two. Pick a rabbit. Get one. What, what, what's your rabbit? What, what's your statement? And, and then you just live and, 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 and breathe that statement and put it in your values and put it in your practices and, and put it in the principles that you uh, live your life by. And, and let every, every, all those things come around that statement to enhance it and make it more clear and, and more convincing and more uh, compelling to other people. John, you remind me a lot of our other co-founder. His name was Hiram Smith. He was the inventor of the Franklin Planner, the Franklin planning process. He passed away from pancreatic cancer about seven months ago. Hiram said a lot of amazing things. One of my favorite quotes from Hiram Smith was this concept of living your life around, I have to versus I need to versus I get to. I have to, yeah. I need to. I get to. My sense is that you wake up most days pretty excited about that you get to take the garbage out. H how, oh, do yeah, you, I... how do you develop that mindset when it's raining, literally, metaphorically, lemons on us right now? That's a great question, and I do live in that third level. And, and uh, in fact, people, I, I get up every morning about 5, 5.15, and I write. And people come to me and say, you know, John, you're just incredibly self-disciplined. You know, you get up at that time. And I said, no, I, I'm really I'm really not self-disciplined. I don't think so. I said, the reason I get up at 5.15 is because of anticipation. I, I get to. Go, going right back to what you were talking about, Highland Smith, I get to. Uh, uh, I, I, I get up at 5.15 because I can hardly wait to get put my robe on and get to my desk. And begin to, I write with a legal pad and a four-color pen. To be honest with you, I don't even use a computer. So I mean, I'm a Neanderthal man. But, <laughs> but, but I love, I, I love that process. But I can, I, it's anticipation. As I'm writing in early morning, I am anticipating people reading this and their life being changed, and 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 I'm, I anticipate people having uh, eureka moments and the you know the light comes on and all of a sudden they say, Wow, John just, John help me. So it's in anticipation that allows me to be motivated. And, 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 and I, I, you know, if it's honestly, if it's self-discipline, it's, it's I, I have to. 
But if it's in anticipation, it's I, I get to. Mm. And so like being on your program today, I've, I've looked forward to this because I greatly admire Franklin Covey. I greatly admire what you do, Scott. And, and I've got great help myself from your planners, et cetera. So, I mean, uh, I, I hold, you know, of course I knew Stephen and, uh, well, and I held him in high, high esteem. And, and so I, I could hardly wait to be on the program today because I just knew that you and I'd help people. And well, that's what we're doing Well, you knew you were gonna get to meet me. Yeah, I, that's and he right. he just hoped I would introduce you to somebody beyond our mutual friend, Liz Wiseman. Oh, I got, I got yeah. other celebrity friends. You just hold on. You hold on. Yeah, yeah. When you, you'll find another John, when you yeah, and Alan and yeah. I have lunch, I'll introduce you to some other people, okay? Okay, okay, we'll, 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 we'll do that. And I'll give you a month to find another friend. Take your time. <laughs> just take, take your time. John, according <laughs> to your dad, you got 25 years left in you at least. Uh, after this masterpiece, The Leader's Greatest Return, what's next for you? What's, what's on the yellow pad? Well, I, I have a whole bunch of books. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I usually have a, anywhere from eight to 10 books in front of me uh, that I want to write. I just finished, literally, during COVID-19 because I had time. I, I, I just finished a, a book that will come out next January called Change Your World. And, and it's, it's truly my favorite book I've ever done. It's, it's, it's about how we can, in our own world, be uh, transformative and help people uh, have positive change in their life. And it's, it's a, in one of my nonprofit organizations, we, we do transformation in small groups called Transformation Tables. And, and we've, 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 we're, in, we're in three countries getting ready to go to two other countries, and, and we've had great success. Only invited, we only come in if, if a president or prime minister invites us in, and then they have to give us buy-in in all eight streams of influence. We have 22 countries in line right now. And, and I, I, I really, uh, in my life, one of the books I'm, okay, one of the books I'm going to write, going to your question, is I want to write a book called, Is There a Finish Line? And I'm, I'm in love with the question and because I think that it has two answers. I think for many people, there's a finish line. I think there are many people who at age 65, there's a finish line and they retire. Or, you know, I think that I think there are a lot of people who have finish lines in their life. And, and they, they, they play what my friend Simon Sinek would say. They play a finite game. And, uh, and but I think for people who play an infinite game, there is no finish line. And, uh, you know, I came into the world, the game was already started and I'm going to leave this world. The game continues on. And uh, I, I live with I live with the with the great joy of no finish line, because here's what I know. If I say there's a finish line and so I say, OK, at 75, I retire or whatever. I don't know what that age. Here's what I've learned about people that have a finish line in their life when they cross their finish line. Guess what, Scott? They're finished. They're finished. And I see people all the time. They're, they're finished. It, it's over. I mean, I, they, I mean, honest to God, they, 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 they're still alive, but, but, but they're finished. And, and I don't think we're supposed to have a finish line. I think that life is bigger than us. I think uh, uh, eternal principles are bigger than us. And, and I, think that, I think that we should always be striving. And so when, when we, people talk about bucket lists, I tell people, yes, I've got a bucket list of things I'd like to do. But the biggest thing on my bucket list is I want to have something in my bucket list that I'll never accomplish, that, that lives beyond me, that keeps me striving, that keeps me running, that keeps me uh, stretching out there. It, it, I, I think that's very important. 
And, and my father, up until through 95, he worked full time. He, and, and uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't have a finish line. In fact, he had a couple of mini strokes. And he, so he's kind of gotten a little close to what we thought, well, maybe he's going to die. And then he comes back. And so I call him Daddy Lazarus. I said, you know, Dad, you just, <laughs> you're just Daddy Lazarus. You just keep getting back up. And so, you know, and I told him, I said, I'm not even going to call you old till you're 100. But, but he, he doesn't have a finish line. And I, I, I think... Uh, I think the great fulfillment is never having accomplished the things that you were created to accomplish. I think that every person ought to die stretching. And, and I plan on, that's how I plan on my, I, I plan on, I, I want to I stretch. I want to I be stretching, not to that line, but I want to be stretching for it. And, and, and because if, if I'm doing that, Scott, I, I'm, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still developing. I'm getting better. And, uh, you know, getting older is automatic, but getting better isn't. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's a world difference between those two. And I want to keep, uh, you know, getting older, that's happening, but I want to get better as I get older. John, your positivity is, positivity is contagious, but I feel like there's something maybe missing with you. It might be a co-author. I, I, I mean, I got some chops left in me, bro. Come on. What are you waiting on? Oh, I, I think you know what? I, know I think people. you're an answer to prayer. I think you're an answer to my I prayer. Think I, I, I you know, an answer to yeah. your prayers. I, I really do. I, I just think that at, at, at the end of one of my books is, is you know, is Scott Miller. So oh, no, no, not what, at the what end. A, no, I, I think soon. I'll, I'll be in touch. My people will call your people, okay? We'll be in no, touch. You have your people. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you call them. I, Please do. <laughs> you better answer, man. John, send us off. Oh, I'll answer. I'll answer. Send, send us off. Encourage people to stay positive. What can each of us that are just normal people, living our lives, raising our kids, trying to earn a living in the midst of the pouring rain of lemons right now, what's something that each of us can do tonight or tomorrow, today perhaps, to, to stay focused sure. on what's next? Well, I well. First of all, when you use the word focus, you know, I, I mean, I could do a, a, a an hour teaching on what you focus on expands. And uh, and so, it, like in where we are with COVID nineteen right now, uh, I mean, we both have. Everybody has uh, negative emotions. Everybody has positive emotions within. We don't like rid ourselves of of fear. I, I can't even imagine. You know, when somebody says, "I have no fear," I, I think you're delusional. You're on drugs. You sure you got? I have fears. So I have negative emotions, fear, which maybe pulls me down. I've got faith, which lifts me up. So it's, it's not a question of do I have a, a, a positive and negative emotions. The question is, what do I focus on? Because what I focus on expands. So if I focus on belief and faith, it expands and it becomes greater than my negative emotions. And so I tell people all the time, put your belief, your faith in front of you and put your fears behind you. Because what I ignore shrinks, what I focus on expands. And so it's not like I get rid of my fears, it's just I make them lesser. And, and I make my faith and my belief greater because that's what I, I focus on and that's what I expand on. And, and I would also tell, you know, when I was talking about those learning lunches a little bit earlier, Scott, one of the seven questions I ask in those lunches is uh, talk to me about um, what's the most important lesson you've ever discovered in your life. What, what's your most important life lesson? A hundred percent of the time, a hundred percent of the time, Scott, that life lesson comes out of some adverse, difficult, dark valley in a person's life. I, I've never had a person, yeah. and I've done yeah. this for 40 years. So, you know, you know, 
to put 12 lunches together because I have them every month. That's a lot of lunches. That's a lot of times I've asked that question. I've never had a person say, let me tell you, the greatest life lesson I learned was from something that I did well or that I was successful in. Yeah. It's always about adversity and difficulty. And so when I look at this time right now, I look at it as a very difficult time. It's, it's a terrible thing that's happening. And yet I also look at it as a, as a beautiful time because um, I, I'm, 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 I'm taking those lemons and I'm, I'm making lemonade and I'm getting better because of this. And I'm, you know, one of the things I think is good for all leaders is that I, I, think, I think leaders become very self-sufficient and then become arrogant. And I think that crises are good because it brings humility to all of us and, and helps us to understand I don't have all the answers. And I'm not supposed to have all the answers, and it's not good for me to act like I do have all the answers. And I think that um, I think there's a, a, a beautiful thing that when a leader has a sense of humility and 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 reality, and you know, I've argued with reality, but 100% of the time I've lost. And uh, I think that successful people understand this. Here, here I close with this with you on, on this question. I think people separate success and failure. And I think they say success is here and failure is here. And, 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 and it's, it's totally wrong. You don't separate success and failure. Success and failure, they always, they always go together. They, they always go together. You don't, you don't separate them. I've never met a successful person that didn't have great failure and disappointment in their life. And I've never met a, a person that was failure that became successful that didn't have uh, some bright spots in their life that gave them courage to step out and do something they probably wouldn't have done on their own. So I think quit separating success and failure. Reframe failure as a learning tool. The more that we use it as a learning tool, the more we become successful out of it. And uh, just understand that, you know, this too shall pass. It really will. And I tell people all the time, if you're, if you're on top of the mountain and you're just, just in gravy, this too shall pass. You know, you're not going to stay there. And if you're in the valley and it's as dark as could be, you know, this too shall pass. You're not going to stay there. And uh, so just understand, get, get the big picture, reframe failure, and, and keep, keep success and failure together. And, and just understand that focus on the things that are going to take you out of the ditch and put behind you the things that put you there. John Maxwell, such an honor to have you on our program today. I'm Truly, sincerely, genuinely a career highlight for me to be in your presence today. I'll take the first Lemonade franchise for Salt Lake City when you're ready. To you, my friend. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Hey, to you, to you, and all, to you and all your viewers. And and and, and by the way, by the way, uh, uh, just you know, make some of this. You know, get, you know, make a, just just you know, you got to you got to you got to do this to to get this. So, all right. You know. Now, John, John, text me, okay? Link me up with Alan. Yeah. Text me. Yeah, no, yeah, I'll text you with Alan. Just hey, well, you, first of all, give me your number. Uh, Got to have that, but, well, but I got to give it. You, I got to give it to you off off the air because the ladies and the gents will be stalking me and trying to be my fan. You know that, so I I, I know. And, and when when I come out, to, I'm out to Salt Lake usually a half a dozen times a year, and uh, I'll call you. We'll have lunch together. I'll have a learning lunch. I'll ask you some questions. I will be honored, and I'll pay. John Maxwell, thank you for joining us. Thank you, friend. What else do you say, John Maxwell, on Franklin Covey's On Leadership program? Thank you for indulging us. We'll see you back here next week for a new episode.